Let's pray together. Lord God, we have, uh, we have seen your rose, Jesus Christ, who has come into the uh, middle of our lives. And we have seen the glory that he brings, a glory that we uh, so desperately need. We pray that as we hear your word again this morning, as we pay attention to it, that we would discover again your grace for our lives in the circumstances we're in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And we'll read verses 13 to 23. Matthew 2, verses 13 to 23. And this is the episode immediately after uh, the Magi have come to Jesus. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Each year the Christmas story gets played and replayed in thousands of settings. There's performances of Handel's Messiah, endless church presentations. Even kids have their pageants, sometimes with live babies and even live donkeys. Angels appear, but usually not in a way that anyone would announce fear not. And Magi bring their gifts. Usually Christmas story ends with the holy family settled into an idyllic picture of peace. But if we end there, our stories don't go far enough. Christmas doesn't end with Jesus adored by Magi. Here's how Matthew ends the story of Jesus' birth. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity. Christmas ends in horror. Nobody wants the Bethlehem Matthew brings to us. Nobody wants a Christmas story that includes the slaughter of innocents. 
Nobody wants a voice is heard in Rama weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Nobody wants blood in Bethlehem. Jesus is not even two years old and already they're after him. We're barely told of his birth and we hear the terror of Herod's massacre in Bethlehem. Artist Giotto captures the scene in one of his paintings. We should have figured it. Should have figured Herod would brook no rivals. Caesar himself once remarked he'd be better off as one of Herod's pigs as one of his sons. Herod had wiped out all of his heirs because he judged they were too eager to take his place. So Bethlehem really was no surprise. Herod went crazy when the Magi alerted him to another king. Uh, The Christmas story takes this unpleasant turn. When Herod gets a hold of it, he's got murder on his mind. We sing, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. It's not true. We should sing, O little town of Bethlehem, your streets turn red with blood while mothers wail their infant sons and Jesus is on the run. But I don't think that carol would sell. Nobody wants blood in Bethlehem. We want walking in a winter wonderland. Give us chestnuts roasting and peace on earth. I mean, imagine the picture of Herod's massacre on the front of your next Christmas card. This pageant doesn't end with glittering angels proclaiming peace on earth, goodwill to all. This pageant brings Herod's soldiers brandishing spears and swords. Matthew's story doesn't end with Magi bowing in worship. Instead, Rachel weeps for her slaughtered children. Matthew doesn't give us a way in a manger with little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. We have wailing. The streets flow with blood. The 16th century Coventry Carol gives us honesty. Herod the king in his raging, charged he hath this day his men of might in his own sight, all young children to slay. Herod represents the ways of power and evil in our world. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Herod's a lot like Pharaoh. Pharaoh built his politics on the backs of Hebrew slaves. When too many Hebrew boys threatened, he ordered them thrown into the Nile. Herod killed two brothers-in-law, his own beloved wife, and his own sons because of perceived threats against his kingdom. When he was dying, he gave orders to slaughter leading citizens of Jericho. He wanted to be sure there was weeping at his funeral. Killing babies was not a stretch for him. Herod's kind has been found down through the ages. He's not different from the leaders of the past hundred years. Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, Idi Amin, Bashar al-Assad, Kim Jong-un. None of them minded killing to advance their political futures. Someone once pointed to the real war on Christmas, and it had nothing to do with happy holidays or Starbucks cups or nativity scenes. One in nine Christians around the globe suffer persecution. 
Government oppression, mob attacks, church bombings, rape and murder, Nigeria, China, North Korea, Syria, other places, they all look like Bethlehem. We hate to hear it. Honestly, we want shepherds and angels and little baby Jesus. Who wants blood in Bethlehem? We want the Grinch to grow a heart. We want Scrooge to be miraculously transformed. We want nothing more than to find it's a wonderful life. But if we turn down the incessant December Christmas music, we just might hear the mothers screaming, weeping for their babies who were slaughtered. Then would anyone say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened? Not likely. Nobody wants blood in Bethlehem. In today's world, both angels and monsters show up at the manger. One pastor tells of a Christmas Eve service held in Sarajevo a number of years ago. Most Christian churches in that besieged city had given up having worship. But as Christmas Eve approached, St. Anthony's Roman Catholic Church in the city center conducted a service. But for safety's sake, it was held underground in a basement. Father Luchik, the parish priest, stood before a makeshift altar. He wondered how they could speak of a happy Christmas. Here they were in a besieged city, ruined by artillery fire, cemeteries filled with the dead, survivors without electricity, heat, water, food. Father Luchik said, What is there left in life for us to celebrate when we've lost fathers, mothers, brothers, sons, even our children? Why should we lift our hearts when we must worry whether we will be raped or slaughtered with a knife or simply beaten to death? And nobody wants that kind of Christmas. Nobody wants to be reminded of slaughtered children. Nobody wants this part of the Christmas story. Nobody wants blood in Bethlehem. Maybe this is the Christmas story we need. Maybe we need to keep Herod in Christmas. Or more importantly, maybe we need to see the real Jesus of Christmas. The Gospel of John says the Word was made flesh. Matthew calls it Bethlehem. Jesus came right into our neighborhood. Hebrews 2 says, Since the children have flesh and blood... He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, suffering is part of our story. And Jesus entered right into our suffering. Just as Moses went down into Egypt to bring the people of Israel out to the promised land, Jesus went down, becoming like us to deliver us. Two years old and he was a homeless refugee with a price on his head. Sario Watanabe, a Japanese artist, captured the escape to Egypt. There's nothing triumphal here. There's uncertainty The child vulnerable, sheltered in Mary's arms. Family on the run. Jesus is escaping certain death, moving away from the danger of Herod and his murderous soldiers and moving toward an uncertain future. Maybe this is the Christmas story we need. Infant holy, fleeing as an alien. 
as displaced as a Sudanese refugee, homeless like every person on the run from Syria or escaping violence in Honduras. Jesus appeared at a time of trouble, tension, violence. Fear gripped the people. And he Wright notes, this is how Israel's Redeemer was to appear. No point having an easy life when the world suffers violence and injustice. If he is to be Emmanuel, God with us, he must be with us where the pain is. This account of Jesus, the refugee to Egypt, Jesus, the vulnerable child, as told in Matthew 2, is a menacing preview of Jesus' life. He had an inglorious birth, threatened the powers that be, so he spent his early years wandering Bethlehem to Egypt to Nazareth, one step ahead of the sword. He faced a tumultuous life. Many greeted his Sabbath healings and talk of being one with his father with plots to kill him. He headed toward death, cruelly crucified as a common criminal on the municipal garbage dump of Jerusalem. Clearly, Jesus shared our humanity. Made like us in every way, he suffered, was tempted, hurt, fled, feared for his life. Circumstances beyond his control dictated his life, and people plotted to destroy him. The author of Hebrews says it had to be. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. J.B. Phillips once told a story about Jesus coming to earth. Phillips imagines two angels, one very senior angel and a younger angel, touring the splendors of the universe. They view whirling galaxies and blazing suns, vast expanses of space. They flit across infinite distances, entering one galaxy of 500 billion stars. They come close to our sun and its circling planets. And the senior angel points to the earth. I mean, compared to the galactic glories the younger angel had just seen, this planet looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball. Watch that one said the senior angel. The younger angel, what was so special about this plain planet? And the senior angel told him that this small planet, insignificant and not overly clean, was the famous visited planet. Do you mean to say, said the younger angel, that our great and glorious prince went down to this in person to this fifth-rate ball? Do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? Why should he do a thing like that? The senior angel's response was simple and direct. Yes, I do, and I don't think he'd like you calling them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. Strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. And he went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. The real Jesus came, vulnerable like us. In every way, he shared our humanity, including suffering like us. Jesus himself, like many in our world, became a refugee. He identified with us, walking the paths of God's people. Herod shows up in our Christmas stories to remind us the extent to which Jesus identified with us. This, too, is the Christmas story. 
this story of Bethlehem. And we can be sure that God shows up in our distress. We've not been abandoned. God's not overmatched by the evil that threatens our lives. We may not be able to explain why such horrid things happen to innocent people, even babies. But we can be certain that God doesn't turn tail and run when evil shows its ugly face. Into our brutal world, God came to save us. God had every right to turn his back, but God stuck with us. God willingly faces seemingly insurmountable odds to bring us home. We will face challenge in this world. The Matthew 2 story of Rachel weeping forces us to see the truth about ourselves and our world. Without this story, our Christmas with baby Jesus and angels and shepherds may have no more significance than Frosty the Snowman. But with this story in our Christmas repertoire, with the Matthew 2 story of flight and lament, we are reminded that we cannot run away from the suffering of the world. Jesus didn't. Ghanan artist Francis Sekuloko depicted the flight of Jesus as an African family on the move. They've gathered their few possessions left from the devastation of war and pillaging, and they're fleeing, fleeing to the unknown. Ahead of them are dark skies, a bend in the path to who knows where. They face distress. But that's part of our story. Distress is part of our story. It's part of the Christmas story. It's part of the story of our world. The suffering that assaults us in the evening noons is the suffering of humanity in need of a Savior. At times we may grow numb to it all, but it is horrendous. We may be shielded, but our world faces suffering every day. Millions of people worldwide have a well-founded fear of being persecuted for their race, religion, nationality, or their membership in a particular social group, or because of a political opinion. So they flee. Like Jesus, they're refugees. There are 70.8 million people forcibly displaced worldwide. 41.3 million continue to live in their own country but have left their homes. They're called the internally displaced. 25.9 million are on the run from their own country. They're refugees. And 3.5 million seek asylum, the greatest number most recently from Venezuela. Most of these people, 57%, come from Syria, Afghanistan, or South Sudan. And 80% are hosted in neighboring countries, just like Jesus, who fled from the violence of King Herod for the neighboring but unfamiliar landscape of Egypt. The challenges we face in our world are not new. But what God has done is new. Perhaps we need to be reminded of the Christmas song of Mary. For the Mighty One is holy, and He's done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear Him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He scattered the proud and haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He's helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. 
God was not only with Joseph and Mary. God is also with us. God works in the triumphs and the tragedies of our lives. God promises to be with us, holding us in our joys and our sorrows. Our God enters our distress to be with us. That's the story of Christ's birth. And to follow this Savior, to follow Jesus, calls for each of us to enthrone Him in our hearts and to dethrone our desires. To follow this Savior calls us to a world of pain, dysfunction, brokenness, oppression. There will be trial and trouble. It's not easy to work with those who are suffering. But then we don't live in a winter wonderland of sparkly Christmas cards. We live in a world of desperate need. We live in a world of refugees. The season of Christmas specials is over. One rather silly one that I like is the animated version of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. When uh, Rudolph's red nose is discovered, he's alienated. He becomes a refugee reindeer. He can't join in any of the reindeer games. But in the course of his journeys, he comes upon the island of misfit toys. These are strange, unusual toys that have gathered into a community. Each of them has been rejected for one reason or another. And Rudolph finds a place amongst these toys. Rudolph, the refugee reindeer, fits right in with all of these other refugees, these broken, unusual toys. And it is amazingly that it's the misfits that come together to save the day for Santa. Maybe what Matthew 2 wants to remind us is that each of us is a misfit. Not one of us has it all together. Not one of us is without problems. We will all face challenges in our lives. We're a gathering of people who are broken, needy, and weak, all utterly dependent on the grace of God. And Jesus, the outcast, the refugee, drew to himself a community of people just like him. A community whose only hope was found in him. And that's Sarajevo Church when Christmas seemed so dark. Father Luchik wondered what was left to celebrate. And then he pointed to Jesus' death on the cross as the only comfort for his suffering parishioners. Jesus, our only firm foundation for life, who holds us together, who gives us the strength to open our lives to others, to open our lives to refugees and outcasts and broken people. The promise of Christmas isn't that everything is wondrous and nice. The promise of Christmas is that we can expect God to show up in our distress. God came to us came to us in Jesus, lived in our neighborhood, faced a death threat, fled to Egypt. I mean, Jesus was born in a borrowed barn shortly after became a refugee. 
The savior of the world was a Palestinian refugee, an international migrant who lived homeless most of his life. The gospel shows us that Jesus did not stay away from our distress. He joined us. He joined us on this planet. God's own self entering into our story. Even the trials and the troubles. And He went to the cross enduring our shame. See, Bethlehem was just a prelude of what would happen at Calvary. The child-born King of the Jews doesn't fit in a box with all of our other Christmas decorations. He was born to, to confront kings and kingdoms to live a self-giving love. And He calls us to the same. He came to face the pain and violence, the weeping and the blood. And He entered into our world with open arms to receive all. He endures suffering. Our suffering. The world's suffering. So that we will not only be able to endure, but ultimately to flourish. To flourish in Jesus. The hope for our battered world. Let's pray together. Lord God, your word uh, confronts us with this word, this word of lament, of suffering, of pain. And we're reminded that you entered into all of it. You didn't shield yourself from anything that we experience. That you came, that you came to be with us in all things. We're amazed at the extent of your love, the depth and breadth of your grace, the wonder of your self-giving love. Jesus, we thank you for your birth amongst us. We pray in your name. Amen.